Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have a legend of a guest returning. It is John Gibbons, the body master. Hello. Qualified osteopath from the UK. Now, if you're watching this episode and you want to learn more about John's uh, life experiences, he was on a previous podcast, and I'll put a link in the description, or at the end of this podcast, you can link to that, or I'll put a link here so you can go watch that whole video about John's life journey and what brought him to Thailand and what he's actually doing traveling the world as an osteopath. But today, this podcast is purely going to be focusing on my foot. <laughs> we are going to figure out why I've been hobbling around Phuket for the past couple of months, and John's going to give that a diagnosis. So if you have a foot fetish, please <laughs> keep the comments to a minimal. I'm going to be tossing that foot on the table. Now, it's nice and clean. I'm doing my weekly pedicure, so we're good to go. Um, no, that won't be just the main subject and point of this podcast. Uh, I want to focus on John moving to Phuket now. Now he's building and buying a house up in Nyan, and we're going to learn a bit about that process. Uh, why did you decide on Phuket? Where, why did you decide on Nyan? A little bit of the process on the visa work and what's going on are all around that as well. Now, he's also brought in his book and given me the signature that I'm going to turn into an NFT and sell online. Um, John, we got the, the vital glutes. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because that all connects to my foot and how my ass is getting fat. So that's vital. We need to fix that. <laughs> Because I cannot run. That is the issue. So we're going to learn about all that. Again, who are we? Fruiting Body Podcast. That is Fruiting Body Mushrooms. So we're doing Lion's Mane Supplements. A lot of other mushroom supplements. Supplements. They are not psychoactive. Only for you viewers. Link in the description and in the, comp uh, and in the, comment, uh, and in the comments. This stuff is only on Lazada. And we're going to be giving away a 25% discount on that. So I believe our 120 cap is 995 bot. Only sold in Thailand, only on Lazada and Shopee. We also have a 60-cap bottle that we're selling at $5.95. Um, so go get that voucher. You click, you collect, and you know how the Lazada stuff works. Soon we'll be coming international once our Shopify store opens because we are working with Ryan from Life in Bamboo. So we're going to be offering that to his international crowd as well. Now, if you're tired of listening to me ramble, we have timestamps below in chapters. So... Go down to those chapters, go actually directly to the chapter in which we're fixing my foot, and yeah, just focus on that if you want to give that a look. Uh, do not forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell notification. I'm on fire, not just from the coffee, but from the nootropics focus, so get this stuff too. It's awesome. John's on it. Hans is on it. We're all on it. It's probably the coffee that's got me all fired up. That is probably our longest intro. So without further ado, let's get this podcast started. <laughs> John, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I felt like I actually rehearsed that. <laughs> yes, that was very good. Well done. Okay, well, thanks for coming back. Um, we're not going to jump right into my foot because I want to leave that there for, you know, let's get that YouTube retention. They won't know when it's coming, but it is. Um, again, we can they can go back and watch that kind of life story podcast more about yourself and, and understanding your career and what's been going on. But let, let's just recap a little bit. Last time you were on, you're going to do seminars up in Bangkok. Can you give us a, a recap of that experience? What went on? What was the takeaway? And what did your, your, your clients and students uh, learn from that? Yeah, well, I was going to actually going to Chiang Mai as well. And I thought... Uh, I was going to Chiang Mai because I wanted to ride a motorbike for five days. And I thought, shall I go and teach first and then go and spend the, the time in the mountains or go in the mountains? But I thought, I'm bound to get injured. 
I'm bound to fall and crash. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to teach a course, you know, if I'm broken my knee or something. So I thought, well, I'll go to Bangkok first. So we arranged that. Um, and then the, la the lady uh, came about 600 kilometer from uh, the north part of Thailand. I think she took like 10 hours to, to drive down and um, with her husband and two of her friends. So four of them came. And then there was lots of people then from, from different places. And um, I think one guy come actually come from Chiang Mai. He was like a, an ex-motocross rider. So I think I had about 14 students in a hotel in Bangkok. Um, and yeah, it just worked. It was a spinal course. Uh, so I, I, I put some uh, videos up and some, and some pictures. Yeah, what, can, what can people expect now? You're going to be traveling to India as well. Are these <coughs> seminars, like the content is similar or is it more... Are, are they deciding what you're going to be teaching or you're deciding? Can you walk us through, like, if we're attending those seminars, mm. what we could expect? Well, I'm teaching in Delhi uh, in the 20th to the 23rd of uh, June. So mo most of the time when I go to Asia, so like, like I'm also teaching in Hong Kong and I'm teaching in Taiwan in, in July, and uh, a lot of the courses are mainly spinal. So in Taiwan, they want me to do like an MET, but it's all governed around what I already teach. Because rather than trying to design a new course where I won't have direct content, then it's easier to, because I've written eight books. So like, for instance, if you attend my Vital Glutes course, you will get my Vital Glutes book as the course notes. So, um, and, and a lot of students like that. So I don't have to, you know, all my PowerPoints are already pre-designed for each of the lectures. I know exactly where I am at what part of the day, because I've probably taught it a thousand times. Uh, whereas if it's a, a new course, it means I've got to write new content and then the structure of it. So it'll be, um, it'll probably work very well, but um, it's easier for me to design, well, to teach a course I already teach. You know what I mean? And I yeah. do 13 courses. Um, what seems to kind of be the most popular well, one? The, spi the spinal, spinal, the spinal spi one. Yeah, spinal manipulation and mobilizing. So when I teach in Dubai, it's normally like a, well, it's a combination, that one. So that's normally two days of, spinal mobilization and manipulation and then we do a second day on advanced spinal so that includes the cervical spine as long as everybody's like a physiotherapist or or chiropractor or an osteopath um, and that's fine to, to teach the, the more advanced level but then sometimes i'll do the, the soft tissue course and i'll do like an met and then they'll normally get the pdf version so rather than me bring in 40 books on a plane which is unrealistic and to try and buy them say in in dubai is not not as easy and it'd be quite expensive so then they'll just get like the PDF chapter. So they already can QR code it uh, and then they'll just use their iPads and um, and it just seems to work very well. So uh, how, how are you kind of deciding to where you're going to be teaching and doing these seminars in the world? Like what percentages are, is, are there places for me to go dirt biking versus <laughs> I actually want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, exactly. So <laughs> it's kind of a 50-50 here. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's like... Uh, <laughs> It's like people say to me, you know, what do you enjoy doing the most? And because I've been teaching for a while and, um, you know, I still get a lot of satisfaction from it because I get a lot of new students. It's not like I teach a, a university degree where I'm teaching the same student every day. Whereas like every day I teach, there'll be a, a different caliber of student coming from maybe, maybe another country. So I quite enjoy that side of things. But potentially, um, you know, people say, you know, do you not get bored teaching the same thing? And I go, well, not really, because... The students ask me slightly different questions, you know, they, they learn differently. So, yes, the content might be the same. And, and people say to me, John, when I read your book, it's like listening to in, in a lecture. So I'm almost like almost word for word because I've done it so often. Uh, but then on the other side of my life, you know, I'm probably obsessed with uh, of dirt biking. So, yeah. 
So I'm not sure which one I would prefer. If I had a choice, if you know, if I had one thing to do in my life from now on, what would it be? Mm. It would. Pr- I'd probably drift towards towards motorbikes. Yeah, especially a place like Hong Kong and Dubai. I, I used to live well outside of Hong Kong in Shenzhen, yeah. and I lived in Taiwan. I mean, these have to be uh, um, um, motorbiking's dream location to go to. It's just mountains upon mountains there. Yeah, I'm not sure about because uh, I'm probably not going to be there long. And the same in Taiwan. I'm never. Like I taught, uh, well, I'm not sure, maybe four years ago before COVID. And um, I almost went in, but the day I finished, I, I almost left this, this straight away. So I didn't really experience, because I was in Taipei, so it's more city-based. Mm. So I didn't realize, you know, if there was anything there yeah, biking-wise. Ta- there's ta- Taipei, what's interesting, Taipei's a city, which is, yeah. it's like, it's kind of like Hong Kong style, but 20, 30 minutes outside, you're in the mountains. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Taiwan is, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's protected. Mm. I know they do a lot of hiking. I'm not so much sure about dirt biking. I'm assuming they have to have it. It's a massive city. Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe something to look in there. And Taiwan is it's gorgeous. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd even like to go live back there for like maybe six months. It's yeah, one of, I'm the landscape's awesome. I'm yeah. doing about eight courses there. Uh, well, eight days of teaching. So I'm in Taipei for one stint, and then I'm going south somewhere. I'm not sure I can't, I'm not sure how to say the name. Tainan... Shinju? Yeah. Shinju. I think, uh, potentially. Shinju is a, it's the technology hub of the world. This oh is w- this is where all of our tech is invented. It's all the R&D. Yeah. So um, when I lived there t- 10 years ago, eight years, something like this, whatever, mm. it's actually where now you're seeing, you're seeing the mobile phones, how they're flipping. And yeah, like yes, yes. That technology is, that's when I moved there, 2012, they were just starting the R&D there. Okay. So that's what that city is all, all about. But Shinju, it's a very old city i think it's like 400 years old yeah. so some you'll get some great great food there as yeah. well well that's that's if i'm going now i'm just oh, okay because yeah, i'm not 100 percent guaranteed of that one it's just a name you d- mentioned yeah. and i thought this sounds like that one uh just a quick shout out to five star marine and sean stenning five star marine they're a sponsor on this podcast so they're just helping us with the production and allowing us to make this content on a week-to-week ba- basis to give it back to you guys telling you these stories about people living not just in phuket but in thailand uh, if you want to go check them out, it's on Instagram at Five Star Marine Phuket. And uh, we'll also leave links in the description. A little bit about who they are. They are a VIP private char- uh, speedboat chartered tour on the island of Phuket. So they're taking you to places like Kolipe, Krabi, Pangna Bay. Uh, you have complete control over your own trip, which most of other services are not authoring that. Uh, sorry, offering that. So Hans will probably throw up a QR code. You can scan that as well. Or links are in the, in the descriptions. Go check them out. Let them know if we sent you there. It just helps us grow this podcast. So let's get back to the podcast now. Let, let's talk about the, the dirt biking here and your recent yeah. trip with a, a friend of mine. I introduced you to Shane. Yeah. And I think he's starting up a, a motorbike tour thing. I, I told him I'm going to bring him on the podcast maybe once it's ready, probably mid-June. Uh, for now, I'll leave a, a link to his Instagram in the description. So he's starting kind of a these motorbike tours uh, around Phuket. And to be honest, I've been here six, seven years. This is a big part of the island that is missing. Um, if you want to go on these motorbike tours, like you yourself, you did last time, you don't yep. know where to go. And it, there is some in Chao Long, but not much up here. Can you talk a little bit about your experience, um, you know, working with Shane and going to Batong? What did you guys do? How did that whole setup all uh, come together? How, what was it like? Yeah, because um, I did ask you, because naturally I went to Chiang Mai last time, so it means, well, I have to buy a Bangkok. So, you know, I had to get a plane for 90 minutes. Because when I'm searching for dirt bike in Thailand, I think Chiang Mai tours uh, came up. 
and uh, and it was really good. Nothing particularly technical, but um, just to be five days in the jungle was was amazing. But I thought if I'm going to spend a lot of time in Phuket, there must be there must be something going on here um, that's related. So yeah. then I spoke to you, and you said, "Well, contact Shane," and then um, you know Shane is uh, like an avid biker like me. So we were just chatting. The first time we chatted it was probably about an hour just on on motorbikes. And then eventually I, I, went, I went to meet him. You know, we had a chat and a, and a, and a beer somewhere. And that was really nice. Mm. And he said, well, <coughs> what we can do is, is one of our friends called Carl, Carl Jeffrey, he's in Batong. And um, he doesn't lead, um, well, no, he does lead groups as such, but I don't think he's got a website. He's all more like if a friend wants to go biking for a day, then you could just tag on with him. So he, he was on a, a KTM 253 ride yesterday. And then he lent me one of his KLX uh, 230s. And then Shane brought his Honda CRF, uh, I'm not sure it was a 300 maybe, or 250, I think it was a 300. And um, so I, I met him yesterday uh, at his place, and then uh, we loaded up his bike, and then we drove to Batong, and then we met Carl. And then from there, about 11 o'clock, we, we, we spent about four or five hours from Batong, and then all the mountains around that sort of area. And uh, it was it was pretty full on, pretty hot. Is it technical, like much more technical than up in Chiang Mai? Oh, way more. Way more. So, th like you were saying to me downstairs, like if you've never been on a motorbike, don't yeah. even think about doing this this part of yeah. this, this section, anyways. Well, there's probably is like Carl was saying yesterday. You know, there's obviously some easy bits some people wouldn't struggle with, but naturally from the easy bits becomes quite technical quite quickly. And add a bit of water to it, you know what I mean? So, like you know, especially in rainy season where everything's muddy, slippery, you know, it's a different ball game altogether. So you need a good bike, good tires, and uh, not only about a good skill level. Um, Things like that. So, um, yeah, so there was, you know, a lot of it was relatively straightforward-ish. Yeah, but as soon as, we, you know, the tracks were narrower, uh, my brakes weren't the best on the bike I was on. So going down <laughs> steep bits where, you, you know, you need you need your brake a little bit. I was using the engine brake, but it was still, you know, I'm in a rut and it's muddy and my front brake's not really working and, and I do need to slow down a little bit in some of the turns. I'm like, wow. So, um, you know, I'm almost using my feet to heel. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite, and then we went for riverbeds. Uh, end up by a dam. Um, we stopped at the seven lane. We need. I, I needed to cool down because I was pretty hot. Um, so you know, we almost like stripped off in Seven Eleven and just had uh, some drinks there. But uh, no, no, it was great. But I know Shane um, is going to organise. Um, I think he's trying to do it just off Phuket uh, on the mainland. Pangna. Uh, yeah, yeah. So because um, he said like there's, there's hundreds of acres. Uh, because the problem is like in Batong, if you start there, you're on the road a lot. Um, so naturally, to get to the dirt, it's road, then dirt, road, then dirt. And um, if people have never ridden in, in Thailand, they might not understand how local people drive, and suddenly they could have an accident quite quickly. Whereas, um, because I come here often, it's easy for me to, to navigate, if you like, and I can sense what people are going to do, because people don't indicate that much and just cut out in front of you. Whereas I think, Shane, the idea was that he is going to set up somewhere where it's like, you know, you, you start on the dirt and you finish on the dirt and there's not much road involved. You know, you might start the local villages, but um, the traffic-wise, further south in here, you know, it's, it's quite full-on. So um, Yeah, and what's interesting, I, I'm sure, well, so that was your first drive in Patong. He hasn't taken yeah. you to, like, this no. side where you... <coughs> no. Yeah, because what I, my understanding is you can pretty much even start out by Heron's Monument almost, um, where the dam is. Yeah. And that mountain... People don't realize you can follow that whole mountain all the way down to Chalong, apparently. Okay. Um, and it's a and it would have went through Patong as well. Now, were you kind of just starting at Patong and going right over the mountain down into the dam? You might have been at the Katu Dam. I'm I'm guessing. 
Yeah. Um, is it the dam with the huge track that goes around it? It's a. It's kind of like a walking track. Yeah, there was a lot of people running and walking around. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, so you you probably went right over the mountain. Yeah, down it's about into twenty that. minutes because we come back. Um, we finished in a dam, but it was quite steep. This rocky area. It was like full-on rocks all the way down, um, and that was and towards the end of the day. So our arms were pretty pumped by the time we got down. And are I had to put my head in a dam then. <laughs> are, are these? Are they just dirt biking tracks? Or are they like tracks built by the locals that are using it for like rubber plantations or working out in those those? those yeah, it's areas. hard to say because I, I remember Carl was saying about um, him and his friend uh, Oscar. I think um, sometimes they they've made the tracks. I mean, so they've been there so many times that they almost like, and Carl has a tendency just probably like Shane and probably like me as well, but, oh, where does this route go? Let's just have a little play around. I mean, and sometimes we go, nope, this doesn't go anywhere. Let's turn around and, and go back. So um, um, a lot of them do seem to be devised tracks, if you like, but there's no vehicles going down these tracks, as in like cars. They are pretty or, narrow. Or like um, they'll have like people working in the rubber plantations yeah. that might <coughs> be using them. Yeah, there's some areas where people were, uh, on on mopeds um, on the dirt bits, but nothing nothing too steep. Yeah, and P uh, Phuket still it's not it's a big island, but you, I don't think you're going to get that lost out in the mill out in the hills. Even here in Kamala, there's some interesting mm. tracks as well. But walking wise, y yeah, for sure, if you're going to walk out there, I've I've gotten stuck out there, and to come back, you know, might be an issue. But for yeah. the mo for people motorbiking, it's gorgeous up there. And what's interesting about Phuket and dirt biking, it's a part of the island only you can see. Yeah. And no one else is going to experience that. And there's, again, there's riverbeds out there. You're up at the top of the mountain. The the whole, uh, like, forestry, the, the uh, it completely changes. Like, once you get higher and higher up, like, the, the type of trees you're going to see up there, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, a lot of it, because um, there's another friend of ours called Peter, who's like an ex-motocrosser, uh, and, um, and he, and, it was amazing because I went to see him on Saturday with Shane, and uh, and he's like 66. But then there's quite a famous event called like the Six Days, and uh, like a lot of the KTM motorbikes are designed like around K um, six days. So like this year, I've got a Six Days 350, and it's like the French colours. Whereas um, this guy Peter, uh, who's 66 from Germany, he said, well, he's done it nine times, and it's a six-day event. Where does it take place? Well, all over. So like, like Thailand. No, 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 okay. no. So it's around the world. So like this year was like, it's like the French colors and there's like Portugal colors. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like different countries each time. So then the color of the country is then designed around the bike. But he said it's like just full on six days. And then like you were saying to me about it was, it's like 300, I think one of those, like a 300 kilometer in one day. Uh, so it's like, you know, like 200 miles. Um, so how long, you're driving for what, four or six hours? I uh, know, more, more, yeah, a lot longer. Yeah, so it depends on how good you are on the terrain. So it might, you know, it might be taking you seven, so eight. Sorry, eight hours. you were saying you have done that, or you? No, have no, he's done it. He's uh, done yeah, it nine I understand times. he's done it. But yourself, would you? No, well, is that on, is that on, on the the roadmap? If I was, because I'm, you know, I'm I'm 54 now, and um, I'm still fit and strong. But um, because I do a lot of medical stuff, teaching wise, part of me would say yes, I'd like to try it. Uh, but part of me thinks, you know, maybe just be a little realistic, enjoy the, the days out mountain um, uh, off-roading, but um, to do like something like the Erzberg Rodeo in, in Austria, where it's just like 1,500 riders start, the best riders around the world doing these like seriously steep, crazy mount mountain stuff. Um, it's probably not really for me. I don't mind like a nice day with a nice lunch, nice tracks, yeah, and then maybe the next day rest a little bit. I just did Portugal as well. I did. Um, we went to Portugal for twelve days, so we did seven days riding, and that was amazing. 
amazing around the, the mountains of Portugal. How does that work at the end of the day? You're able to find, like, you have to camp or you're finding a hotel? No, we stayed in a, this time, the first time we did it last year, so we did uh, uh, seven days, but we had a base in Chavez uh, in Portugal, so every day we did, say, 100 miles yeah, and then or 80 miles, and then it varied each day, but we come back to the same base. Whereas this time, we went from hotel to hotel, so we had to carry our stuff with us. And also the stuff of a bike and any repairs we have to do, we have to do them on the side of the of the track. And then when you're going to these countries, it's you're just e easily able to rent, or is it kind of you no, take a bikes with us? You're taking them from from England. How how on the flight? No, on a ferry. Yeah. Oh. So so in oh, England okay. we yeah, had yeah. had the ferry from uh, like Portsmouth in UK to to uh, Bilbao or Santander in Spain. So it takes like two days to get there, and then we're in vans, so two vans. And then, uh, and then from there we drive 500 kilometer, and then the, our bikes are with us, and all our stuff is with us. So we literally just leave a vehicle, and off we go. So you're on the ferry for two days. Two days, uh, one day on the way back. So you like motorbiking? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 12 day trip to do seven days riding. Yeah, my God. Yeah, uh, I was trying to put that together. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. How yeah. and now is this ferry? Is it meant for that, or is it kind of like a cargo ferry? Well, no, it's a no, no, it's um, it's just like a normal um, standalone ferry, um, so. Like, you know, they got all motorhomes. So, like, people from UK want to go, say, to Spain or France. Ah, okay. And then anybody want to, because it'll save you, like, a day of driving. So, you know, you pay the money for the ferry, and then you get off, and then you're already in Spain. Wow. And you haven't driven 24 hours to get there. Do a lot of people Loads. living in the UK know about this? Or yes. It's kind of, wow, I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, yeah, so they take the motorhome, and then have a month in, in Spain, and rather than driving back to UK, they'll just go back on a ferry. Because it'll save you, you know, four uh, days of driving. You would be able to drive from Spain to the UK. I guess you're driving around and then taking, is it a tunnel back over? Well, you can do. You can go on the, on the tunnel yeah. um, from Calais mm. yeah, to Folkestone. Or you just get the ferry from um, Calais to Dover. And that drive, if you did it, would be three days, you're saying? Well, it depends. If you did it continuously, it's, it'll probably take you 16 to 20 hours, maybe. It depends where you go in. Just to get your trip started as well. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah so, yeah, so most people take two or three days, and they stop on the way, like in France, in mm -hmm. three places. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's let's jump forward, and this is kind of the meat of the podcast as well right here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's not not yet. That's coming. Um, you're Now you're, you're building your house in Nyan. Can we talk about that in terms of... That thought process, how did you end up deciding Phuket? Um, why did you decide Nyan? And work us through a little bit about the visa work and how are you going to make yourself, how are you going to make Phuket your home? Yeah, I'm probably not guaranteed to, to live here full time yet um, because I bought this apartment. It's like I stayed um, in a friend of mine um, who's ex ex military, Clay. And um, so I stayed there in January and, uh, and I thought the, the workmanship on the build of, of the place called the title was amazing. And, uh, and I got the pool there. Uh, well, I got a few pools, to be honest. And then I went into the reception, and uh, they're obviously selling the, the new phase. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I might be interested. They said it was not built until December next year. And I said, well, that's okay, because I'll just pay it in installments. And, uh, and that seems to work quite well. So I'll probably come this time as a trial, probably like December, January, February. So I'll probably do three months. But then I'm also back in, in, in a month's time, so I might do most of September, probably a lot of July, so I'll probably come back then. Um, and then see, and then Nayang is very quiet, but it's quite a nice beach. You know, it's a lovely place. Uh, but then I quite like this area down here. And I like Phuket because it's an island, but you can easily access the mainland by the bridge. It's not like if you're in Koh Samui, because you'd have to get a ferry 
through, I don't know, Kotai or, or Kopangang or something. Or, or this bridge that's coming. Oh, is it? Sure. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> they say for, I think, the past 20 years. Yeah. But, I mean, you're talking about an 80K bridge, maybe. It's not happening. Okay. Not, not in my lifetime. Anyways. And all the beaches in Phuket, because it's, like, so many on the, the, you know, the East Coast and the West Coast, and I just like, you know, the, the area in itself. Um, I'll probably end up teaching in Bangkok and a few other places. My friend has asked me if I could teach in a university somewhere in the south of Thailand. So I'll probably go there. But it's, 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 it's an easy base because if, if I teach in India, I can just, you know, it's a three and a half hour flight, I think, direct. Um, and then, you know, things like uh, Hong Kong, Dubai. So it's like six hours. So it's almost like a good base to be. Um, whether I live here full time, I'm not sure yet. I'll probably, because I enjoy my motorbiking in England and my friends are there. So, um, yeah, so it's debatable whether I'll just sell everything and leave everything to come here or whether I'll just come here for three or four, six months and then go back. So I'll probably do like half and half. I quite like skiing as well, though. So I won't mind like a ski resort. So I quite like the cold. Oh, yeah. I guess at least you're not too far to Japan from here. Yeah. Maybe eight hours on a flight. I don't, I don't think ski in Japan. Skiing in Japan. Okay. I think the flight from Phuket, you'd probably, st- maybe there's, I doubt there's direct, but you'd fly to Hong Kong. Yeah. Hong Kong to, Jap- let's say, Tokyo is probably five hours. Okay. So you're looking at less than eight hours flight. It's not too bad. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Because normally I ski in Europe. Yeah, so there yeah. we go. Now, now, now I got to move into Japan as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've climbed Mount Fuji. Oh, really? Yeah. So I went there many years ago. In fact, my son was like five months, uh, five months pregnant with my, my girlfriend at the time. So I thought, well, let's let's go and do Mount Mount Fuji. It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting mountain. Um, I've I've been to Tokyo. I saw Mount Fuji. I definitely yeah. did not climb it, but I heard it's not that difficult. No, of it's a not. Hike. No, no. It's, I've been when I did it. I'm not sure. It must be over twenty years ago, twenty three years ago. And uh, but the way up is different to the way down. So it's like almost like one way system coming down so it's um yeah and it wasn't snow capped when i was in july so it's like a volcano on the top mm. and uh, but uh, yeah no it wasn't difficult i've done mom you know i've done a quite a few mountains but um have, have you have you decided now like when you're coming to phuket did you take any other locations into consideration i think this is kind of for the listeners out there that are looking to retire maybe in southeast asia did you consider bali indonesia philippines malaysia or were you pretty much dead set on phuket well, I've probably been to Thailand the most. Um, I have been to the Philippines. I've been to Cebu, and uh, but it's just it's almost just uh, it just seems a lot longer to get there. Even though it's probably not in reality. Um, I am going to try Palawan in after I teach in Taiwan. So I'm going to go there diving in El, Ni- El Nido, I think it's El Nido. El Nido. Yeah. So I'm going to go diving there and just see it was like whether I would live there or not because again it's you know it's like seven thousand one hundred islands in that sort of Philippine. I think it's a bit more than that. Depends where the tides up or down, something like that. And um, so I'm not sure if I would live out. I'd probably like it as a, as a place. But I think for me, Phuket is probably easier just to get. Yeah, I've, I've dove in Palawan. It's, it's really off the beaten path. Yeah. Because you're going to have to like fly to Manila. And sometimes yeah. they don't even have, well, they used to have like a, like a 50-seater plane okay. from Manila to, to El Nido. Yeah. And Porta Princesa is their main airport. Yeah. So actually, the real, the chi- the more expensive way, but the way most people could do it is you're going Manila to El Nido, but you're in a fifty seater or something like that. Yeah. And that flight round trip is it? I think four or five hundred US. Okay. Um, but most people will go Manila to uh, the airport near Boracay. I forget the name of it, Iola or something. And then you fly from there to Puerto Princesa. Well, that's okay. just your Philippine flights plus your international. And then when you get to Puerto Princesa, it's a nine hour drive yeah, to exactly. El Nido. Now when I did it. 2015 or 14 they were building the road by hand oh so (laughs) 
it we're lucky it wasn't raining, but if it was raining, there, you can't even get there because the road's mud. Okay. Now, El Nido's, it's nice, but to be honest, when I was there, all the locals are like hooked and cracked out on meth. So forget about that part. Yeah. So, but I mean, when you go out at night to the restaurants and the bars, it's a really it's seedy there. Yeah. It's very it's a very strange scene. Besides your hotel and your diving is absolutely gorgeous, yeah. um, but you'll see when you get there and you you land, you'll it is off the beaten path, and it's like yeah, you couldn't live there. There's oh. uh, maybe maybe you could, but personally, there's not much to do out there. there yeah, there's a couple of restaurants and this and that, but nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I went to uh, Vietnam as well. So I had two weeks in uh, Nha Trang, mm. um, and that was okay. Um, there wasn't many people like myself there. There's a lot of people coming from, obviously, from China, a lot of Russian people, um, which is fine. Um, but um, I didn't really see many British British tourists there. So um, whereas, like, you know, in, in, in Phuket, there's lots of British people, uh, lots of people from U.S., where you can have, like, you know... Yeah, you can a feel good, a bit a more friendship. Like in Nha Yang, yeah. it's like yesterday I had a, had a few beers, and, and I've met quite a lot of local people. Not local Thai, but... Um, where, where was that? Uh, in Nayang. Oh, Nayang. Yeah, okay. so, you know, it was like a nice little community there. You know, a lot of German people and British, and then, you know, they all live there. A lot of Australians. Um, so we just have, have natural... Uh, you know, yeah, and it's, it's, it's more of a, a local community yeah. there. You're going to have a lot of people that have probably been there like 20 years plus. Yeah. Um, it is... Uh, I'm looking... We're looking more like Northern Lyon, maybe, to move. Again, to yeah. get away. This area down here, it's getting a bit too busy now. And it's nice to be away so you're closer to the airport. So when you have to go, you're not stuck in this 40-minute to one-hour traffic. No, exactly, because yesterday yeah. when I came back from Batong, the traffic yeah, was, was probably oh, an, hour, an hour plus just to get to, to Shane and then 40 minutes to get back from me. So I was like, wow, it was uh, busy. Whereas Nyang is hardly any. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And and once you have the, the dirt bike up there, you can, from the Nyan Beach, you can rip across. Mm. If Well, the water is going to have to be a bit low tide, and then that's kind of a, a shortcut to Nithon. And it's the Marriott's right there, but yeah. the bike can go right across as long as the water's not too high. I've done it a few times on the motorbike. I get you get stuck and you got to rip it through, <laughs> but okay. I think I think you'll be okay up on the the dirt bike. Yeah. There's some really in Shane could tell you some I interesting spots to dirt bike up in Kalak, and they go out there on the beach and they just drive for miles and then come back into the jungle. Okay, and it's only spots where you can get on the dirt bike, yeah. and it's uh, supposed to be absolutely gorgeous because the Kalak beaches once you get way out there, which is Pungna area, yeah. so you're talking north of Baba Beach Club, Natai. Once you get way up there, I mean, these are like 40 kilometer beaches you can just see for miles. And wow. There's no like bays like we have down here, so you can just rip across that. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, for yourself, when you're moving here, do you have plans on what you're going to be doing for the visa, or will you just kind of be coming and going and, and exiting as you need to? Uh, well, uh, a friend of mine, Michael, um, who's a lawyer, he said, um, you know, when I'm in, in that process to, to apply, then let him know. Um, but uh, I know you can get uh, like a retirement visa if you're over 50 for one year. Yeah. So um, I think it's a few hundred dollars, maybe US dollars. Um, so I probably will do that because I think they've just changed the rules from 45 days to 30, someone said to me a couple of days ago. So it just means every 30 days you probably have to leave yeah, and then come back. Um, to get your, your passport signed or they again. Or they have the the elite visas now as well. Okay. I think they're about, I'm looking into them, I'm, I'm, I might decide in December. They have one that's like 800,000 baht for 20 years, and you just pay, and then they leave you alone forever. All right, okay. And then it's done. Like there's, 
So when you do the, obviously when you're doing the work or work visas um, that I'm doing, or you're doing a retirement visa, it's just more paperwork and headache. Yeah. We're just like, give us all this money and we'll give you a 20 year and we just leave you alone. Okay. I'll probably do that. <laughs> Here you go. That's, that's the, that's my plan for maybe August, maybe doing this elite visa. I think they have an elite one at 500,000 for five years, Yeah. but for the extra 300 for 20, uh, kind of makes sense as okay. well. Um, and it's, yeah, and you get all these extra amenities, like every time you land at the airport in Bangkok and Phuket, they drive, they pick you up and drive you like kind of like first class. Okay. So they drive, you, you can go wherever you want and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump ahead to the meat of the podcast. I don't <laughs> know if we should take a, we'll take a break. We're going to take a look at my foot. I crashed this last time actually to, to give a premise to the story. I had a friend on, um, he has a YouTube channel called Keys One, Adam Jones, we decided to drink a lot of beer on the podcast that day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think I must have had six beers. And then we decided to drive to the beach. Okay. And as I was driving, so this is two, at least two months ago. As I was driving to the beach, I was okay. I just went to pass a car on the motorbike. And as I passed the car, I went to accelerate and I hit, I hit the gas. But the specific spot on the back roads of Bangtow, if anyone lives here, it's right by where the old orange bar is. The road there, just at that spot, it's super just bumpy and destroyed. So it kind of went like straight and then it has a dip and then it goes back up. So as I accelerated, I like hit that, hit the bump, went up, landed it clean, probably only going 30. But when I hit the nose, it just whoom, slipped out. Okay. So I was cut up pretty bad, continued to drink for the rest of the night like an idiot. <laughs> um, and the next morning, couldn't no. even walk. No. Had to go on Tim Newton's uh, Today Morning Channel. I'd limp in there. Luckily, it was on the way to the hospital. And um, basically, this toe here, as you can see, the bone coming up. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to walk or extend. Walk or extend this big toe. I don't, is that dirt on the foot? Let's I haven't been able to extend this big toe. <laughs> I love how we're zooming in on the toe. Extend <laughs> on this big toe. And so, therefore, I can't run, and therefore, I'm getting fat. So, you know, yeah, I'm sad because I'm fat, and I'm fat because I'm sad type of thing. <laughs> uh, so, let's cut and then come back, and we'll decide how to, uh, In I, I guess we're going to diagnose my foot, and I guess that's good content for everyone. <laughs> Why not? Okay, we're back, and we are... Going to inspect my foot and see uh, if it's broken. Okay, here we go. Uh, you, you can kind of, because for anyone that's listening on audio, we'll try our best to describe what's going on. Uh, my foot is on a table, so you can come over to YouTube and watch that. And we're going to see if we need to cut the foot off or what we're going to be doing here. <laughs> okay. Now, when you, um, a lot of people don't realize how important the big toe is. Medically, the big toe is called the hallux. So any muscles attaching to it will have like a word like flexor hallucius or extensor hallucius. And, uh, but when you walk in what we call the gait cycle, so I always teach my students that um, the big toe is one of the first places you would check. And then you would check the ankle and then the knee and then the hip even before you get to, to the patient's say lower back uh, or pelvic sort of area. And like the big toe, you know, if you're looking at say, can I just have your other foot for a minute? Yeah, yeah. It should be clean. I just had a... Yeah. So if you're looking at, say, this one, you've got 0 degrees, and then ideally you'd have at least 40 to 45 degrees of extension. You call it extension or what we call dorsiflexion. And you can see that his left foot will do that. Now, on a lot of um, women, uh, w women <coughs> tend to have what we call like a, like a deviation. Medically, it's called like a hallux valgus. And there's many reasons for that. You know, they used to say a lot of women 
wearing heels and footwear, etc. But a lot of time it can be genetic. If a mum has a deviation of a great toe, then, um, then maybe the daughter will have the same. Uh, and a lot of people will have um, surgery to try to, 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 to fix that. And, and for some it works very well. But for men, men don't tend to have too much of a deviation here. But on his right foot, there is a swelling around, this is the joint like called the, the metatarsophalangeal, because you've got the metatarsals here onto the phalanx. And, um, and on men in a certain age bracket, if you wake up one morning and then the big toe is painful, but it's normally, you know, you get like the heat and the redness, then more than likely 75% of that first MTP joint is related to gout. And it's uh, like, a, like a crystallization within that joint. And then that can be very, very painful. You can get gout in other places, but for 75%, it's normally affecting this area in you. And he did mention that maybe there's a, there's a relationship to that because he does like you know, nice food and, and alcohol. But um, in his case, it's more likely trauma-related. But when I'm trying to, to bring his big toe up, you can see there's not much dorsiflexion. But where he's had that initial con contact, even though he had an X-ray at the time, sometimes an X-ray might not show. Should I try to... Try yeah, to might oh. not show. Like, um, Should I maybe sit like camera for yeah. yeah. Is that so better? So it's not such a side view? Yeah, so what I'm trying to, to lift of it, there's hardly any motion in here. Mm. And then more than likely, even though I had an x-ray, but didn't uh, confirm the presence of an x-ray, uh, sorry, a, 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 a fracture, sometimes you can just stress the bone, but it doesn't show up for about two to four weeks. And no doubt that joint in here, the bone in itself, is actually quite swollen. And it's been two months already. And he said he can't run. Because the reason why he can't run is because he can't extend that big toe. And you need about 45 degrees just to run normally. So by trying to, to mobilize, as long as it's not too painful, because it's hard to mobilize it yourself sometimes, because we'd almost want to, to passively try to mobilize it. Do you feel okay doing this? Yeah, it's, I know if there's a certain point, then it's, it's a sharp pain, but it's not unbearable. Yeah, yeah, but uh, more than likely, this MTP, uh, then on this lateral side, on this outside, there is a bump. And um, that does feel like a callus within the joint. Well not directly within the joint it's probably just the neck of that bone in here so um it wouldn't surprise me if it is if it is a stress fracture directly on that and because this extra bit of bone is just it's like um, when you have a wire and you cut it and you solder where that bit of solder is there's a, a natural callus a bump and it and it forms within that area and you've got a callus forming around it um but on a positive over time but this because you've got what we call the osteoblasts lay down new bone, and then osteoclasts like eat away, like a little Pac-Man. They just eat and eat and eat. But sometimes that can take like a year or two. <laughs> I'm not saying it'll be like that for you, but um, it can be, like if you fractured your ankle, the ankle can still look swollen a year later. Uh, but it's just the bottle uh, remodeling itself in here. Um, no doubt we can treat this and we can mobilize it, but the main movement here will be extension and flexion. And then also you have this like, it's called abduction and adduction along here, where we have this deviation coming across here. So, um, and I can also do a circumduction type of motion in there, okay? But um, it's never going to be a quick fix in one two-minute sort of treatment, but just trying to passively, because the main movement we need is this one, okay? So it's extension. So one technique I could do is, it's like a muscle energy technique. If you just slowly push your thumb down, thumb, your big toe into my, into my thumb, okay. you, you curl yeah. it down. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. Am I trying my hardest or yeah. Well, no, you by twenty percent effort. Oh, at twenty. Yeah, so give it okay. give or take. Yeah. Okay, and that's not painful. No. So the idea is is that if you activate the muscle for ten seconds, then that muscle 
will automatically relax. It's called a like a, a well, it's called a post isometric relaxation. And then just let yourself relax. And now, if I can just try to mobilize it a bit more, if it's too painful, let me know. Because obviously, this is the first time I've looked at this great toe. And um, you okay there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no problem. And you can see, but I'm extending it a bit more there. It's okay. Okay. So I'm just going to hold you for a few seconds. Le and let's just repeat that again. So you can just slowly push. But you, you can almost do it with yourself. So I'd have to teach it to you. I'll get my girlfriend to do this. <laughs> or yeah. Hans, right? Because um, every joint has synovial fluid. And synovial fluid is like oil. Oil in the engine. Okay? And obviously, if you don't use it, you lose it. So by trying to simply encourage movements within, it assists in the secretion of a synovial fluid, which is trying to lubricate the joint. Okay, there? Yeah. I'm just looking okay. at the... the Oh, don't worry, I'll tell you. Okay, I so that, that's not degrees there. You can see that we've already improved him to there. Yeah? Okay. And let's do it one more time so you push down. So this is a soft tissue technique. So you use the muscle to contract the muscle, to relax the muscle, relax, take a breath. And then I can passively encourage further great toe extension here. So this would take a few little sessions just to try to mobilize. But if we can get you towards that 30, 40 degrees, it means you would be able to walk normally. The load would then be taken off your knee and your hip. Should I be doing this myself every you day? You should be trying to do this. You could almost like put the foot into warm water, hot water, so you just get some heat into it. Okay, uh, Don't worry about ice. You don't really need ice. Ice is good for pain. Um, if it's painful, you can use ice. But just to warm it up a little bit and even just mobilize, even using um, like seven under the foot where you just activating it, you, you, you scrunch in the towel, do you know what I mean? But the flexion's not really a problem. You don't need that movement to run and walk. You just simply need that movement, yeah. okay? Yeah, and um, you probably find this callus will settle down because it's been two months, so more than likely it's healed. But because of that extra bit of bone, it's restricting the motion here. Will that eventually go away, yeah. that callus? Yeah, yeah. So I'll be able yeah. to put it, like I was saying, a lot of yeah. I have friends, hockey players with hockey skates. Yeah. Even for me now, putting on a shoe, it's it's, it's very tight. Yeah. And then, so the idea is just trying to get it mobile. So you're just trying to secrete fluid. There's never like set time, set numbers. It's just, you just do it for a few minutes. Yeah. Is there Once anything you, you can take, like flaxseed oil supplements? Well, I'm not sure about the research on that. You know, mm. everything will have um, a benefit in some way. But um, I think for, you know, because I am, you know, like an osteopath, a physical therapist, so I'm doing physical therapy. So you'd almost want someone like me just to spend time mobilizing. Or your girlfriend, you can teach your girlfriend just to mobilize it. Because mm -hmm. it is a joint, and if the joint's not moving, it's like an engine. You know, you, if you don't use the car for a month or two, Stiff. it's going to start to seize up. Okay? And we are, you know, the human body's designed to move. Think about it, you watch 10,000 steps a day. But because you can't extend, the body shifts to the second and the third toe. So you get more problems on the outside. Yeah. Then it shifts, it changes your biomechanics on the whole foot. And the knee. That's what I feel yeah. now, my knee. Yeah. And also, we, you know, we'd almost, we almost want to, because that movement there, you're quite good in dorsiflexion. You can see that. Okay, so you normally need about 10 degrees of ankle to lift up, and you, and you move well from there. So that's not really a problem. You're a little tight in your calf because your knee's bending when I do that, but that's okay. Okay, so that's quite good as well. And you can also look at this joint in here. So where, so you've got the cuneiform system here, and then you've got something called the the navicular just here. So there's many bones, like 26 or 28 if you include the little two sesamoid bones in here. So 
that joint in here, I can almost like just mobilize that joint. Okay, so I'm just doing what we call like an AP, so anterior, posterior, PA gliding, and I'm just trying to mobilize that one. You okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't tend just to look at one area. So even though obviously the problems at this first MTT, you'd want to be mobilizing where the metatarsal meets the, it's called the medial cuneiform, the first cuneiform in here. Just watch, watch your mic a bit so I can... Yeah, which is part of the tarsal bones. This clip's going viral on some <laughs> on some weird f porn foot fetish website. Along here. Okay, because sometimes as you... You know, it's never going to be trauma to one area because the way the foot hits, you probably would have just stressed some of those tissues around here. That's what I... Yeah, I was saying it hit, it hit on the top. Yeah, yeah, around there. But, you know, yeah. it's just that, that natural motion would have upset some other issues around here. Okay, but there'll be lots of little things in here. I'll be trying to get these metatarsals moving in here. For someone like yourself, because you're you're not here all the time, I mean, yeah. I can't just call you up. Hey, John, come on over. <laughs> what what can someone do when when they still need to treat it, and someone like yourself at this level is not around? Well, it's probably easier to if it's like an ankle, a foot, or a hand. You can almost like mobilize it yourself. You probably don't need too many people involved if you know what it is you are trying to do. I mean, but now, uh, would it be smart at this now? I know on injuries like back injuries, you shouldn't be going to see a, a massage therapist because you don't want to aggravate it. Is that correct? Uh, well, probably not. But so for this, should I be seeing like should I be doing foot massages? Would that help, or would it foot be massages would be good? Okay, um, because it's hands-on treatment. Any type of treatment will be beneficial because it'll be mobilizing, and then because they're doing all this type of movements, it's generating heat, stimulative of the nerve endings. Yeah, but then you'd almost want to, to get them trying to just mobilize without irritating it. Do you think that even like, a, let's say a sports massage therapist, yeah. and th there are great facilities, actually, there's one up at, I'm not going to okay. give that, actually, I'm not giving that info away because they get busy. They're very good, I'll tell you after. But yeah. they, um, they are a sports massage therapist, they're Thai. If I kind of explain to them, they would understand enough what I kind of need done? Yeah. Okay, boom. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This this is just a little. Yeah, it's alive. okay now. And I, I, even once I feel the pain at this point, it's sharp, but it's not unbearable. But yeah. the first month was like, yeah, I was walking on the the right side of the outer side of my foot. Yeah, well, I can feel it gliding. Hans, you don't need me on the camera. Get out. So I'm gliding <laughs> this way, and that works quite well because what sometimes would happen is if you're not using it, you'd have to be quite careful in some ways because. This could become what we call a hallux rigidus. So if, if and sometimes where, where you have too much trauma, like especially football contacting, then it, you have like a little lip of a bone, so you can't physically lift it. Um, so that's what I mean. You almost want to be like now is almost a good time. Uh, a month ago would have been probably better um, to have started to mobilize it. Uh, but even so, you know, I can still feel movement that way, which is a good thing. I can feel movement this way. Can you feel it since we started? It's becoming yes. more fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Before that, would uh, I would feel a sharp pain. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So so we are extending. How much I can improve in one session is debatable. But at least, but it's it's all about small increments. You know, a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, and you'll probably find that over the next week or two, um, you know, you might be able to lunge. You might be able to to initiate that that run because obviously running is is a good exercise to do to control weight. Can't run, 
and what do you do that you can swim but it's probably not quite the same mm -hmm. so I, you know, I quite like running as well so yeah, I find running yeah. if, if I get too fat from beers on the weekend yeah. it sheds it off pretty quick <laughs> uh, for me it's I just I I need to run like and I, I'll do wind sprints I got a place right there I, not so much running for 5k yeah but I'll, I'll do a, a light run 30 minutes and I'll just do wind sprints till I can't breathe anymore yeah. high intensity and that's the best way to shed this beer belly off but yeah, right so now just a little traction. You're just to open the joint. Yeah. So it stretches the ligaments on it. You okay with that? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. There's not really too many manipulative techniques that would do this. There's a few in the ankle that do, but your ankle moves okay. So, but in general, I could just tell my girlfriend, they just you know, yeah, twirl well, it around this, a bit. You know, she could almost like watch me on this podcast. There, hey, yeah. there we go. Clip yeah. this, put it on the TV every night. I get to see John every night <laughs> and right after dinner. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you no so worries. much. That's okay. We will uh, take a quick break. Uh, we got to finish the happy ending part. So <laughs> we'll, we'll be right back. One sec. Well, gorgeous. And the altitude's quite high as well. So you have to get used to that. The first day, we st they, the hotels, are they're good. They put you in. I mean, you're not going to – there's no Marriott there. Uh, here, just I'll push that in. Um, They 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 have they don't they measure the success of the country in something called gross domestic happiness. All right. Yeah, they're not they they have a king there. It's it's very like chilled, laid back. The food you'll get bored of by the end, so don't go for twenty days. I mean, unless you can handle it. But it's a lot of like meat, potato, yak meat, potato. You know, just rotate the. Uh, you lost me there. Um, the the food's pretty pretty basic. Um, I thought the yak meat is phenomenal. Like a yak meat burger, burger it kind of tastes like roast beef. It's okay. They do it in a stew, so it's falling apart in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you drive around, everywhere on the side of the road is like the freshest apples and the most delicious apples you'll ever eat in your life. They're just selling apples off the road from the tree. So it's, <laughs> a, it's a really cool place. It's all Buddhist and um, very chill, very chill. But uh, definitely a place to check out. Mm. Um, anything else around here? East Timor is just like a... If you're in Bali or Indonesia, okay, go to East Timor, but don't just go to East Timor. Mm. Um, yeah, I've done Bali. Yeah, Bali is... Yeah. yeah. East Timor is... Uh, it's it, East Timor is... Fuck, it's so expensive. Like, because it's meant for... Uh, what's it, like the UN. So it's all write-offs, company expenses. Mm. So oh like right. the shittiest hotels, like 200 bucks, 300 bucks a night. Um, if you go for three or four days, you're going to spend at least almost two grand. All the tours that they run there, oh, we'll take you here for, you know, uh, the day. It's like 800 bucks. Mm. The guys don't care. They're just like, well, well we're not going to go because they know that the UN's showing up and that someone's going to pay 800 bucks and write it off. So there's a lot of that. The diving there is phenomenal. Okay. East Timor, yeah, we'll come back in a second. Uh, yeah, fix that. The diving in East Timor, it, it's drift diving. So you're on the island of East Timor, and then they take you to another island that's part of East Timor, and you just drift dive on this cliff, and there's eco-friendly hotels. It's very, everything there is off the beaten path. Um, but two, three nights max is enough, unless you really want to get adventurous, and they'll take you to a part on the island, but it takes like two days or something to get there on like a, a jeepney through yeah. the jungle. And then you'll end up in like a fishing village with like nobody there. That's the real. We didn't have time for that. So, anyways, that's some of the cooler stuff around here. Um, we ready? 
Okay. We're back. I hope you enjoyed that foot massage. <laughs> um, uh, before we wrap it up, we're probably going to go for another 10, 15 minutes. We're probably getting close to an hour without all the cuts. Um, let's, let's talk about the book you brought in, The Vital, the vital Glutes. And I'll hold that up there. You brought in this wonderful book here, The Vital Glutes. And primarily you're talking about putting the gluteus back, back in your maximus. Is yeah, I always over Maximus back, back, into, in, back I know. into gluteus. I, I, re <laughs> I reversed that there. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit about this this book and um, what could people expect getting out of it? Yeah, well, that's probably one of my most uh, popular books uh, because I think if you look at uh, YouTube or Google, I think uh, people seem to be doing a lot of Googling, if you like, on, on how to activate the, the glute muscles um, and stuff like that. So that was the second book I wrote. So um, I wrote an article. Uh, and I called it putting Maximus back into your gluteus, and it went down very well. And then my publisher said, well, because it went down very well, could you write a whole book on it? And I went, well, I'm not sure if I could write 60,000, 80,000 words just on, on the gluteus Maximus. Because I always say, I say to my students, I said, you know, I'm teaching a course on a knee. I said, you know, how, how many words could you write just on the knee? And, I and, and look, most people will go, well, I can probably write two or three pages if I write big, if you know what I mean. So, um, so when I started it, I thought, you know, am I, is, is it a book? Um, and then slowly, I started adding things in, you know, like the how the glutes relate to the ankle. Uh, and there's lots of studies about, uh, uh, like if you've gone over on your ankle, like an inversion sprain, then, uh, then actually there's a particular ligament. It's called the anterior talofibrillar ligament, but it gets damaged. But there's a, a big link to the, the glute medius in particular. So, um, so whenever I, I teach looking at ankles and feet, then you should include activation of the glute muscles. Because obviously when you stand on one leg, and most of the time when you're in a gait cycle, you're either on your left leg or your right leg. So when you say, and I'm doing 10,000 steps a day, it's 10,000 steps on one leg. Yeah, left leg or right leg. So naturally, the glute medius, which is the smaller muscle, compared to the glute maximus, which is the bigger muscle. So the gluteus maximus work in harmony in some ways with the medius, which is the smaller one, and they stabilize the hip which then translates to stabilizing the knee, which then naturally translates to stabilizing the ankle and the foot. So if you've got a strong glute group of muscles, not just A or B, you know, glute medo, don't worry so much about the minimus because it's relevant, but not for this conversation. So um, if you've got a strong glutes, then I always say, but you've got a strong knee. And if you've got a strong glute, you've got a strong stability to the ankle and foot. And whenever people have like, instability in the ankle and foot yes it could be continual damage to the ligaments which is fair enough but you can also have instability if the glutes are not working as well as they should and then so it's not only does it translate from the glute to the knee knee to the ankle and foot but also it works in the other direction so when you know when i always say to my students what's the function of the glute medius uh, and they go well it, it it takes the leg to the side it's an abductor and i said yes but it's not really that relevant because you don't walk around lifted your leg to the sides. You might do it in a class, in an exercise class, but it's still almost irrelevant um, because it's not really functional. And the idea of a glute is that the glute medius in particular will maintain pelvic positioning when you are walking. So if the glute on, say, one side is slightly weakened for some reason, it could be many reasons why it's weak. And that's what the book is about. Um, it's not so much about um, what exercise you would do 
to strengthen, it's about why is it weak in the first place? Because there's quite a famous guy in the US called Brett Contreras, uh, who's got a PhD, and he's, he's known as the glutes guy, uh, which is fair enough. And, uh, but a lot of his stuff is biased about more exercise-based, which is great, whereas mine's not really. Like the last chapter's exercise, uh, whereas the first, I don't know, say 11 chapters is about why might the glutes be weak in the first place and what you can do about it. Because if you've got a lower back problem with a nerve, like the superior gluteal nerve, which is L4-5, mainly L5, will innervate the glute medius. So if you've got a problem with, say, L5 nerve root, then the glute medius ain't going to work because you've got a disc pathology. So I've also linked the glutes to the pelvis and the lower back as well. So, uh, you know, and they are vital, they are the key. And if a glute is weak, then the pelvis will dip. It's called, medically, it's called a Trendelenburg. So if a weak, the pelvis is, glute is weak on the right, when you step on the right leg, the pelvis will dip to the left. But then the body compensates, and then you get what we call a compensatory Trendelenburg, so we end up leaning into the side of weakness. Either way, when you walk, you'll have like a, like a strange gait pattern. So I mean, a bit like when you've damaged your foot, you'll walk differently. When you damage the knee, you'll walk differently. If you've got a problem with arthritis in the hip, you'll walk differently. And because the hip relates to the glutes, any problem within the hip, the glutes, for some reason, will say, I'm not going to work so well. So then, whenever you're looking at activation of the glute and what they do, you should then look at the hip. So then, as part of a book, the hip is used to include. So suddenly now, I can write a bit more about the hip joint, and I can write about the back and its glute, and I can write about the knee. Do you know what I mean? So that's like another chapter. So it's not just about the glutes. It's how the glutes affect the hip, or in reverse, how the hip affects the glutes. Okay, is it A or B or B or A? Um, and it just seems to work very well. And then that then relates to a course. So then if you do the course on glutes, you get the book, which students love, because they say, well, you're not going to charge me extra for the book. I go, no, no. You've paid enough money for the course. Why would I want to charge you more money for the course notes? And students love the course book because it goes on a bookshelf. Whereas if I give them a PDF of, a, of some information, it, it drifts somewhere and they'll never find it again. Whereas a book will be on your shelf. Do you know what I mean? And I'm open, and, and many places I go to, they send me pictures. John, you were, you were almost taking up the whole shelf now with your, with your eight books I've got. And obviously, I'm doing the spinal book, which is, uh, I'm a bit slow on that one. I've just designed a, a spinal course online, um, so that'll be ready to launch next month. So that's like spinal mobilizer. But you, you'd almost want to be a therapist who already manipulates to do it because it consolidates rather than just doing the online to learn how to do it and because I find it hard to learn. You need me teaching you how to do it. When these uh, people that are, are using this book, it's primarily therapists. I mean, it's not yeah. the average retailer that's just picking well, it up. Well, a lot of people will buy this one because cause it's, it's probably one of my easier books to read. There's not that many pages. You know, it's probably 200. Um, and it's about 60,000 words, whereas my shoulder is quite full on. You know, that could have been three books in reality uh, rather than just one solid book. So uh, I think a lot of a lot of uh, jo the Joe public, you know, where where they're interested in that word, and you know, it's not much money; it's probably fifteen US dollar to buy. So um, as, as a punt, if you like, you know, you're not spending fifty dollars. Yeah. And then people read it, go, "No, oh, I quite like that." And then suddenly, uh, I am. I, my goal is 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 to to walk past like a like a like a swimming pool where someone's reading <laughs> reading reading my book. Uh, Maybe you know. at, at, a, at a university. Yeah. Well, like a university swimming pool. Yeah, well, lots of people yeah. take it on holidays, mm. you know, like they buy the beach and they said, oh, John, I'm reading you a book, I'm, I'm studying, you know, and, I'm, and I'd love to walk past that person mm. on that beach saying, oh, are you enjoying the book? 
You know what I mean? And, and, and with the glutes and the ass, it kind of connects to the beach as well. <laughs> yes. What um yeah. is, is there a go to let's say a glute exercise people could um do once a week or you know incorporate into their workout regimen mm. for more maintenance purposes to avoid these injuries? Um. Well, Brett Contrero would say like the the hip thrust exercise is probably one of the best, and he's got a, like a machine that would hip, do hip that. Thrust is like that kind of like where you, where you put your back on and you have the barbell and you're doing that. Well, that that would be one way of doing a particular exercise. But before you almost like get, sometimes it's not so much about the exercise you do is trying to work it out, um, <coughs> because any exercise where it will activate the gluteus maximus will be a positive thing to do, because it's functional. So like when you walk upstairs. As you go to step, there's a there's like a, like a synergistic activation between the the quadricep and the hamstring and the gluteus maximus. So it's not just like one; it's like a triangle, and you cannot work one really without working the other two, because if you just do purely like a hip thrust, you're trying to activate the glute max in its in its one range motion, but it's not really designed for that, because it's designed in function. So when you bend in, pick things up; when you stand in; when you're walking upstairs; when you lift the leg to push. The glute max works. It's called the paradox of Lombard. So it's like three muscles contracting together to allow that motion. So any movement that replicates that functional plane is worth doing. Whereas if you just do a bicep curl, it's not really functional. If you do a push-up, it is, because it activates you know the wrist and the elbow and the shoulder. It's called like a closed chain exercise. So whatever you do for the glute, you have to try to relate it to the function that it's designed to do. Yeah, so if you're just doing like like a hamstring, people go, well, I do leg curls. I said, but it's not functional. When do you ever walk around doing that exercise? Or I do leg extension. I said, it's not functional. If you want to activate a little bit of the vastus medialis muscle because it's it's weakened because you've got patellofemoral pain syndrome, then that potentially could be okay as long as it doesn't cause you pain when you do it. But you don't want to be focusing on it because it's not designed for that. Mm. So one of the exercises I suggest people do is like use like a core ball Place the core ball against. Um, I've got the pictures in there. If you wanted to show the pictures, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, what, what, how? Um, yeah. I think it's better. Uh, you you show it and, and hold it so people, because this will all be on the camera will be on you. Yeah. So something like um, like this exercise in here. <coughs> so I suggest people spend a little bit of money on a on a on a core ball, and then um, you literally place the lower back into the core on the ball, and then because. Use the ball to then glide up and down the wall with so with the weights. Yeah, you don't need any weight. There's weights on this one, but you just progress to that. Yeah, um, and then because it's all about the alignment of the knee. Because many people, if I said like do a squat to someone, then most people would have a tendency where they the knees drift forward. And if they did say twenty repetitions three times, the next day they might say, "Well, I feel it in my quads." And I go, "But it's not a quad exercise. It's because of the." the technique you are applying is almost incorrect. It's okay, but it's it can irritate the knee. This but is isolating it. This is trying to, but it's not, remember, it's not just isolating the glute, but you want to try to focus a little bit more on the glute because you are extending from the hip. And is that because you're trying to push more through the heel than the toe? Um, no, no, you can keep a foot relatively flat. Uh, a lot of people will come up, uh, you know, a lot of people will, when they do a squat, will put the, like a small little, of wood if you like under the heel to change the angulation of it but no one really needs to do that um you're almost making it more complex than what it's designed to because again it's it's not functional do you know what i mean so you'd almost want to be quite natural doing it but what i what i do say is like place the fingertips 
onto the, the bum muscle, if you like, and then on the way up, try to focus on the squeezing of the bum as you extend. And if you can work on that, and that'll be one of the best things for, you know, if you've got lower back pain, I say, maybe do that for the glute. If you've got knee pain, maybe do that as well. Remember, you know, remember I wrote the book not about these pages or, or the exercises. I wrote the book to try to understand because <coughs> many of my uh, patients will say, John, I've been doing glute exercises every day, but it never seems to work. So, you know, they'd be watching all the YouTube videos, bought my book, and they try to do the exercise, but it's not particularly working. So you almost have to work out if it's a nerve problem, it's not going to work, okay? Because the wire to the muscle has been cut because it's compressed by the disc, let's say, in, in layman's terms. Um, and then the, you know, the, the dimmer switch is on dim, so the power to the light, the power to the glute from the wire, because it's electric, um, there's no feed to it. So the glutes will never work. So you can do the exercise all day, every day, and it makes no difference because the problems with the disc and you've got nerve root pathology. Mm. Uh, but also if you've got pathology in the hip, like an ar arthritis or something called a labral tear, then then the muscle of the hip flexor called the psoas decides to, it's like a protector. So it's it and it restricts movement. But because the hip flexor is opposite to the glute, it causes it to become inhibited. So now the glute's not really working because the opposite muscle is too strong because it's protecting the hip. Mm. So, you know, so it's not always about what are the best exercises to do. It's, for me, it's like trying to work out why it's not working in the first place because you'll spend 30 minutes every day doing the exercise, but it's never going to work because you've got arthritis in the hip joint. Is, is there any danger on um, talking about if you're doing squats? Yeah. Um, with with a weight, say we're in the squat rack, uh, depending on the angle of my foot, should we be a little bit angled out? Also, the gap of my leg, should yeah. I be at shoulder width? And is there any, and, and these are, this is kind of three parts of the mm. concept of, of the squat. Um, the foot angle, also the, the knee is going to follow the foot alignment. Yeah. Um, the depth of your squat, should you be passing 90 degrees on the knee? Is there trouble for the knees? And also the width of your leg, should it be shoulder width? Can you talk a little bit about the maybe the dangers or what could occur, or what you should be doing, and or what you recommend for that to avoid any dangers or what is best? Sorry, it's a bit long-winded on that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, well, anatomically, the hip depends on your anatomy in some ways because some people can squat fully and have no problem. Some people have to turn their legs out to squat fully. Some people almost like would deviate and change their legs in. Not so much on that one. But um, so anatomically, the hip will design whether you can squat correctly or not. Um, but then I always say you have to work with what you got. Because if you start changing things, like when you're saying the foot, are you changing the foot or are you changing the hip? Because if a knee is bent and you're doing that, then that is obviously my tibia is externally rotating. But if my leg is straight, now it's my hip that's externally rotating. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Mm. So, but I always say that when you bend in, try if you can to get the kneecap to go towards your second toe. Okay. But the foot should be in what we call subtalar joint neutral. So the foot should be neutral. I almost say walk on the spot and just stop. And that would be your anatomical position. If you start to take the legs wider, or altering things, it's it's almost unnatural, okay? Because when you bend to pick something up, you don't automatically think, what is my knee doing? What's my hip doing? What's this doing? So it almost has to be quite natural. Glutes work better 
after 45 degrees. Okay, so whenever you are wanting to work the more of the gluteus maximus, then the angle of the knee, you know, that's 90 degrees. So when you were trying, you know, that's obviously for the knee, not the hip, um, but um, the glute is better. So as long as you're going towards 45 onwards, you don't really have to pass 90 because if there's a potential issue within the knee, then like the menisci, or if your technique is not so good, because when people load the bar and then they load the glute, the knees can very quickly change position. So the knees have a tendency to drift inwards. You get this called a medial knee drift. And then it loads the ligament on the inside called the medial collateral ligament in here. So and a lot of people go to, it's like um, a lot of people like out, outride themselves because they buy too big an engine on a motorbike. Like a 250 is suffice for most people. But a lot of people buy a 350 or 450 or 500 and, they, you know, and it's the first bike. And it's the same with squatting. They say, well, I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a go at 100-kilogram squat. You know, it's like, don't be ridiculous, okay? Because your knee and your back, the technique, your core, is not going to handle that. So I always say that you said, you know, you go lighter in the weight, but you might do a bit more repetition. So that extra weight is not going to load the disc because, you know, that load on your spine is not the best. And sometimes to do that exercise where I show on a ball and uh, where you, you load it by just holding dumbbells, then you can do like variations as you're doing it. So, um, uh, you know, like, but it's but it's it's governed by the hip is the position whether you can squat fully or not, and also the full flexion of the knee. But um, for me, for certain sports, yes, you have to. Uh, but for the majority of people in gymnasiums and for for most sporting events, to go towards ninety would suffice, even less than ninety. Okay, so. Um, Further than that, sometimes it will you, you deviate. Okay, the foot will pronate a bit more, the knees will drift in a bit more, the knee might have a tendency to turn out to turn independent anatomically if the hip is allowed to do that. But medically it's called a like a retroversion. So the hips are anatomically facing outwards, then you naturally want to have the hips externally rotated to squat deeper. Whereas if you turn the legs in and you got this hip I'm mentioning, you would struggle to do a squat mm. towards ninety. And should most bodybuilders are not just going in and doing your squat. Yeah. Should we be wearing weight belts? Should we be uh, wrapping our knees? Uh, or is that just depends on who you, on you, who you are, like in terms um, of if you're having pain or whatnot? Yeah, it depends on, on what your goal is, if you know what I mean. So if your goal is to squat heavy and compete, like in Olympic lifting and things like that, then I probably would suggest that they would wear a belt just to give them some inner core stability. Uh, and a lot of them will, will wrap their knees. But um, I think for... for 95% of the population, um, you probably wouldn't really need to start adding in you know, these, these extra because it's almost changing the biomechanic a little bit because you just, you know, you're, you're applying this to the knee. It, you know, if you feel benefit from it and you've always done it, then, then why not? Okay, but um, I wouldn't be teaching in, in my clinics that, you know, you start wrapping your knees and do that. I always say that you'd go lighter with the weight, yeah, but you do a bit more repetition. So it's more endurance-based rather than, say, potentially strength-based depending, you know, like 15 to 20 repetitions rather than, say, four to six or four to eight, yeah, depending. Because as soon as you start loading the bar, that spinal position has to be so important. Um, and if you don't keep it in relative neutral, if you're in flexion or extension, you're going to be loading facet or loading disc, okay? And it normally changes by an extra 10 kgs either side. It'll just tip you over balance. And then suddenly that position, you know, the gravitational position you're going to tilt forward, 
And if I got a 5 kg weight there, it's only 5 kg. But if I do that, it increases almost 10 times to that L5 disc. Okay, so it's almost like 50. So if you're doing, say, forward raises, 5 kg, it doesn't look like much. But it's it's 10 times to the L5. Mm. And if you're in a little bit of flexion, it's, 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 it's you, lo you load in your disc. Okay, and discs are not designed to be, they are in some ways, because they allow motion, but they don't like it. Okay, so the facet joints are, are the stability blocks, if you like, within your spine that uh, need to be loaded, like in the neck. Okay, so um, you know you don't you don't want to be in flexion in the neck because it, it's constant pressure to the disc. You don't almost want to be in neutral where the facets are taking the load. And yeah. this will this all then be carrying over to your book uh, about spinal? Yes. Yeah. And you said you're still in the middle of writing this book. Yeah. You're, can you for for the diehard John Gibbon fans out there just waiting for that book the book to come out? Do you have any idea of when maybe this could be ready? Uh, probably towards the end of this year. Okay. Um, and published, like, on, on people will be able to purchase by yes. then? Yeah, probably probably end of the year, probably early January, I would say. Because the thing is, like, in, in, in publishing, um, because I'm linked to Lotus Publishing, which is a UK company, they have a sister company called North Atlantic, which is based in um, uh, California, Berkeley, Berkeley area. And um, so I'm almost like in a queue. So I can't just suddenly say, there's my book and it's done. You know, the editor will have it for six to eight weeks. Then obviously I've got like a, a designer, uh, medical artist. So if I send her a picture, then she uh, then she will design the picture around it. But I might have 30, 40 of them. But then she might be doing it for another book. So I have to wait for her. I have to wait for the editor. I have to wait for the designer. So that's why sometimes it takes like two years. Mm. Um, it was funny because last time I was here, I'm not sure if I m mentioned, but I met a guy called Kurt. And um, he was a, an author. And like in his 70s, he was diving and, and I was diving. I said, oh, I'm an author as well. And he said, well, I've written like 31 books, like all self-help and very, very popular on, on Amazon. And I'm saying to him, I said, how long does it take you to write the book? And he says, two months. Sometimes I do it quicker, but his has no pictures. So it's all just content. And you can sit there for hours just writing and you know, typing and, and, he, and, he'll, and, he'll, and, and then it'll be printed quite quickly. Whereas for me, because I've got so many photographers, and a thousand pictures have to have arrows and you know, all edited. Um, and then, then I've got to be writing a you know, figure one to seven, whatever, four. Uh, and then it takes maybe four weeks just for the front cover. Because I always think a cover of a book sells, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a nice cover. Uh, but yeah, but uh, so normally it takes about two years to mm. two and a half years. What have you, with the recent, uh, you know, uh, the hype between chat GPT, are authors like yourself able to lean into this technology to help write books? Um, that was only mentioned to me um, recently. And um, so I'm not really, like, um, come across it too much. But someone did say that, you know, if you mention what you do uh, on this artificial in intelligence sort of, like, site, that um, it comes up with, I think it was Shane, actually, that mentioned it, but um, it'll give you, like, a whole profile. But... You, you almost couldn't write it yourself. It's just done it, but it's done it in seconds. Well, th that's, that's what you mean? Yeah, so uh, you, uh, you haven't seen ChatGPT yet, have you? I think I've linked to it, but it was a while okay. ago when I linked to it. After the podcast, I'll show you quick. I'm going to show you something crazy. Yeah. Because uh, you have eight books, the algorithm in Google is going to pick up the name of your author, so they'll know your writing style. I bet you I can write your whole book in, let, let's say, we'll do it after, I'll show you, in like five minutes. You'll you'll see what it does. Okay, it's crazy. I'll go write me a book by John Gibbons, and I'll write a couple of your books so it knows where to pull it. 
and give me a, a summary on the, the background of his new book, the, you know, whatever that title we want to give it, something to do with spinal. You give me that, I'll show you. It's, the cool thing about it is it, will, it won't do it perfect, but it will unlock creative juices for yourself because it will be like, it will know how you think deep in your subconscious. It is mental. All I don't right. know how it works. I'll show you after. Okay. Um, and they're, 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 you're able to only maybe do this with uh, authors that have the content out there because the AI is going to go scrape all your content yeah. and it's going to write the book using your vocab, your writing style in seconds. Wow. It's scary stuff. Uh, we'll take a look at it after. Okay. Uh, right when we finish. So um, just before we, okay, just before we wrap this up, because it's been about an hour now, we've hit the nail on the head. You all got to see the star of the show. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to kick this camera back to you. If you can kind of let everyone know again where they can find you on YouTube, Instagram, um, any upcoming uh, seminars and some teachings you have in India or anything else where people just could in general reach out to you. That's your camera right there on the right, and just let everyone know how to find you. Yeah, so if you look at uh, my YouTube channel, so that's known as just simply type in John Gibbons Osteopath, um, so you can find me on there. My Instagram account is uh, bodymaster.method, uh, and the same for, for Facebook, so you can find me there. My next teaching is in Delhi uh, in June, and then I'm in, uh, well, I'm definitely in Taiwan um, for about 10 days in uh in august and then where am i then um, hong kong taiwan yeah hong kong but that's not confirmed yet but def definitely taiwan uh and then i'm gonna be montreal i think in maybe march next year so i'll be my first time in uh, in canada mm. so yeah i'm an all, uh, i'm also in dubai and saudi in september but no confirmed dates so i'll be there yeah, uh, so you'll be able to, he's somewhere in the world and he's going to be close to you guys at yeah. some point. Yeah, and I'll probably, when I speak to my friend uh, near Bangkok, I'll probably, I'll, ha I'll have to arrange because I'm coming back so often. It would make a lot of sense just to, to do some teachings. Can, can people like see your, like, you know, how, uh, let's say a music star like Beyonce is going on world tour. Do you have that like location on your website, like John's world tour, here are my dates, here, come no, find but, me? No, um, but... I think I should. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's pretty much the same concept. These yeah. these stars go on world tour, and at least you can get an idea of when they're coming to your location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. coming uh, soon. Yeah, maybe I should because my website is is uh, johngibbonsbodymaster.co.uk, and um, so yeah, maybe I would. Yeah, especially because like in England, I'm I'm doing less teaching, so my plan is to do October, November, but not like for the two months, just probably like ten days within those two months. And then the same for March and April. Then the rest of the time, I'll probably be uh, writing somewhere, uh, teaching somewhere around the world, or biking. Let's rephrase. Well, that. if if you can make that on the web, just make the design look like a like a, um, a world uh, like a world tour of a real artist. And then if we can get the shirt with you know the dates on the back, let's <laughs> <laughs> get the whole thing going. Uh, I would I would buy that merch. Okay, yeah, yeah, I like, okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay, uh, well that wraps up another episode. I'm sure John will be back because he's moving here. So, uh, any questions for him in the comments? Obviously, we couldn't cover everything, but his book will be coming out by the end of the year. And I'm I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in Thailand for life. So <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back. Um, yeah. That wraps up. Wrap. Wraps up another episode. As you can see, the lion's mane's wearing off, so we're almost <laughs> done. Okay, thanks a lot, John. I do. Thank you.